Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Adam Russell, and this is my wife, Heather. And we're the pastors here at The Vineyard. And we'd like to be the first people to welcome you to church. And we'd also like to be the first people to welcome you to Palm Sunday. So if you were wondering why this this little plant is over here on our right, that's why. That's a bit of our hat tip to the fact that this is Palm Sunday. And because it is, uh, we're going to do a little bit of what we did last week, which is we're going to have a bit of a, a sermon conversation. So not exactly a sermon and not exactly a conversation, something in between. And what we're hoping for is at the end of this, we're going to throw up a few questions that maybe you could talk with your family about. Maybe you could dive into the text again, just with the people who are sitting on your couches or maybe in your uh, living room. So uh, we should do this to begin with. Why don't we go ahead and read the scripture? That sounds good. This morning, we are going to be reading out of the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the tree and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Thank you. All right, everybody. Here's what I want to do this morning as we enter into this little conversation that Heather and I want to have. I want to give you a little bit of an outline, something that I sometimes do in my own sermons that'll give a little definition to the conversation that we want to have. I want to talk to you this morning about performance art. I want to talk to you about paradox. And I want to talk to you about worship. So performance art, paradox and worship. And might I add, I thought it would have been a little cuter to have praise instead of worship. Kind of a little three Ps. I guess I missed that, didn't I? I I don't know, but it's fine. We can go with worship. We're going to go with worship. All right, here's what I want to do to begin though. I want to talk about performance art here for a second, Uh, because part of what Jesus is doing when he comes into town like this, uh, when he's riding on the donkey and when all of this action is happening, uh, one way of sort of understanding this scene is that it's performance art. So before we dive into Jesus, maybe as a performance artist, I'd love to know what you think about performance artists, being as you are an art teacher. 
I guess the first thing I think about um, maybe is method acting. You know how when um, actors will take on a role even into their personal life, like yeah. if they're going to play some sort of a role in a movie, they'll take on that persona and won't get out of character at all? That, I don't know, that's the first thing I thought of. Yeah, there's, um, there's a few really famous, there's lots of famous actors who do that, but uh, Daniel Day-Lewis would be one. Mm-hmm. And um, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, and didn't, and, and if I understand right, in this last Joker movie, like Joaquin nearly went crazy playing the Joker because he just didn't quit playing the Joker. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, so I guess that's the first thing I think about. Yeah. Uh, there's also lots of famous uh, performance artists like Marina Abernovitch. Yes. <laughs> if I, I can always butcher her name, but yeah. um, she's a female performance artist who makes really, really intense statements through performance art exhibits. And yeah, one of the interesting things about people like her is that we have these people like Marina who are alive today, mm-hmm. but if they were alive in the time of the Bible, they would probably be considered like an Old Testament prophet or to kind of like redo the math in the other direction. Mm-hmm. A lot of the Old Testament prophets, if they were alive today, maybe they would be doing performance art pieces at the MoMA in New York City. Because uh, yeah. when you think about Old Testament prophets, uh, you can think about like Ezekiel mm-hmm. and all of the things that he saw and uh, the way that he told his stories. Uh, they weren't just things that he said, but sometimes they were things that he acted out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then earlier this afternoon, you and I were talking about Hosea. Right, whose whole life was practically a performance art. Yeah, because the Lord told Hosea, he said, why don't you go and marry a prostitute mm-hmm. and I want you to take her into your house and no matter what happens, I want you to, to keep her and that'll be, like, that'll be like my word to Israel. Like uh, I've been the faithful husband mm-hmm. and you've been unfaithful to me, but I'm gonna keep bringing you back. Right. Yeah. So about in this passage, what do you see in it that makes you think of performance art? Well, I think there's a bunch of stuff and it's, it's a little bit like the passage we were dealing with last week in that there's a lot of Old Testament echoes that are in this passage. And Jesus would have known about these, but then also the crowd who was there cheering him on would have also known about them. So I just want to take you through, through a few of these Old Testament echoes. Uh, so for instance, uh, one of the key features of this is that Jesus comes into town riding on a little donkey. Right. And Matthew even tells us uh, that Jesus did this to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy, which came out of Zechariah chapter nine. So if you were to go sometime today and read Zechariah chapter nine, what you'll see is there's this prophecy and Matthew puts it in there that the Messiah is gonna come to town, but he's gonna come to town riding a little donkey, you know? And so Jesus would have known that. And before he goes into Jerusalem this time, he knows that and he's like, I'm going to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna begin to play that part, right? But that's not the only thing that happens. Once Jesus begins to come into town like this, the people start waving palm branches mm-hmm. and they start taking off. Taking off their cloaks. And, yeah. and they put their cloaks on the road, um, which is an odd thing. Yeah, and not really relevant or like doesn't transfer well to today. No. It, but we, at the time. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that's going on there. Uh, so for instance, n- number one, to take off your cloak is, is a way of saying, everything I have is yours. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking about people who didn't have two cloaks, they had one cloak. Right. So the thing that's most precious to me, yeah. I give it to you. So even that act would be um, an act of sacrifice, yeah. a symbolism. Yeah, it's symbolic. But then there's this Old Testament echo that it's connected to. So in Second Kings chapter nine, if you wanna read about this at some point this week, you can as well. But at Second Kings chapter nine, 
uh, there's this a prophet, his name is Elisha, and uh, he goes, he sends a young prophet to this guy in the scriptures named Jehu, who was not the king of Israel. And he says to him, go anoint him as king of Israel and tell him to like, get rid of the king that's there now. Like the king is evil, get rid of him, you'll be the new king. And when the prophet goes and anoints Jehu, uh, some of Jehu's men ask him, hey, what did that crazy prophet tell you? And he says, well, he told me that uh, I'm the new king or whatever. And when his men heard it, the Bible says that they took off their garments, they took off their outer cloaks and they laid them down before him. Again, it's this idea of like, everything I have is in your service, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, he becomes the king of Israel and Jesus A would have known this. Uh, the people would have known this. So Jesus is picking up these, these Old Testament echoes from Zechariah and then from 2 Kings. Mm -hmm. And he's entering into playing this part. Yeah. And then the third way, I just want to mention this because I think it's important. Uh, because in the text it says that the people waved palm branches. Which, which is probably the most famous part of this text. It is the most famous us. part, yeah. right? Because mm -hmm. it's, it's visual. We can kind of see it. But clearly... I've never waved a palm branch at anyone. I assume it means something very important Yeah. at that time. Yeah, yeah it does. And, and this is an echo, not so much from uh, deeper into the Old Testament, but uh, a few hundred years before Jesus. So 200 years before Jesus, there's this guy named Judas Maccabeus or Judas Maccabees. And uh, he's a part of these, uh, this uh, Hebrew family who comes into Jerusalem, and at the time, Jerusalem was also oppressed, mm -hmm. and by force, and with a good show of military might, they kick their oppressors out of the city, and they win this great battle, and so everybody's like, this is our guy, mm -hmm. and as a way of sort of celebrating him, they cut palm branches, and they wave them before him. So you mix all of this together, and when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, there's this sense in which it's, it's prophetic mm -hmm. uh, performance art. There's this, this part that Jesus is playing. But then there's this other part, and it's what the crowd is playing. It's like they're joining forces. Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy, and then the, the entire crowd starts playing along. They're throwing their cloaks, and they're waving That's these right. branches, and they're saying way more than just the, what's on the surface. Yeah, the things yeah. that we're picking up are not necessarily just the things that they're playing into. So you're 100% yeah. you're right. Like Jesus is playing his part, but then the crowd begins to play their part. Yeah. And by the way, uh, just like when we're here on a Sunday morning doing church together, which I miss so terribly, mm -hmm. but just like, just like when I'm preaching, I'm doing part of, of, of what it is that we're doing that morning. But then when, when, the, when church is really good, it's not just what I'm doing, but it's also how the crowd is, is, is playing its part as well. Yeah. And when the band is leading worship, they, they're doing a part, and then the congregation has a part, right? That's right. And so this is, there's something about it that's, that's performance art. Jesus is playing his part, but then this crowd is playing yeah. its part. So I just want you to think, performance art. Mm -hmm. And I don't want you to think this isn't true. It, you know, it's not that Jesus is playing a part that isn't true. Mm -hmm. No, he's entering into all of this history that is true. Mm -hmm. And he's playing the part, not as the actor, but there's this weird sense in which it's paradoxical. Mm -hmm. And so uh, instead of being the actor who shows up to play a part, it's that when Jesus shows up to play this part, he's not really the actor. He's the true person, right? right. And everything else in some ways was the, was, the, was the performance. And now Jesus is showing up 
to be the truth. Right. That makes sense. And I love that um, we included the word art in this because I know Adam references this often, that sometimes things, uh, emotions, feelings, things need to be said are so big that just voice alone cannot hold them. You have to sing them. And this is another one of those pictures where there are some stories that are so big and so true on so many levels that just the retelling of an event or the explanation isn't enough, but that art is the container that holds the whole message. Yeah, there's a sense in which uh, this is a play or this is a story that's much, much bigger. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one of the things I just want to say to the church, even this Sunday morning, like this, this Christianity thing, yeah. uh, this being a follower of Jesus thing, uh, number one, this is not something we make up. Uh, this is not something we just decide or pull out of thin air, mm -hmm. but we're entering into a story. Mm -hmm. That's uh, already going on. Already going on. And for us, it's a story that's even older than 2000 years. It's, it's older than the appearance of Jesus on the earth. Yeah. We're reaching back to something that's really, really old. And there's a sense in which when we find our place in the story, it's like we're entering this, this, um, this, this really big performance. Yeah, right? that's great. Okay, that's one part. Uh, the second thing I want to talk about this morning, because it's so apparent in the text, mm -hmm. is the idea of paradox. Yeah. Because if you don't get this idea, you won't get this text, mm -hmm. and really you won't get the life of Jesus. Right, right. So you and I were riffing a little bit today about all the different paradoxes that are in this passage. There's so many. Uh, what, are some that, what are some that you have? Okay, for example, we're in a parade type atmosphere. People were cheering and so full of joy and hope. And then you fast forward a week and the streets will be filled again with people uh, maybe expressing the exact opposite emotions. That's right. So this story begins with Jesus being... Uh, celebrated as the king yeah. or celebrated as the Messiah, but in less than a week, yeah. not even a week, less than a week, there will be a crowd yeah. and they will be shouting, but they'll be shouting, crucify him. Can I just say we're going from cheering to jeering? That's right. Cheering to jeering. You're very good. funny, by Thank the way. You. Thank you. Um, but yeah, that's one element of paradox here because you and I know the story. Yeah. You, you can't get away from the shadow of the cross that's already beginning to fall on this story. What are some other paradoxes that are here? Okay, um, we have Jesus riding on a donkey going down the street, mm -hmm. and then a week later, he's walking down the street, and now he's carrying his cross. That's right. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's this uh, almost like an idea rhyme or this, this paradoxical scene that you're going to see. Uh, Jesus comes in riding on a donkey, and then in less than a week, uh, Jesus will have to struggle under his own power to carry his cross. Yeah. And in fact, he, in the end, won't be able to carry it. They'll have to find someone else to carry it for him, right? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. um, here are some other uh, paradoxes that are in this passage. Uh, Jesus comes into town in victory. Uh, he will, in one, less than a week, he will go down in what appears to be defeat. Um, Another, another paradox in this passage is they wave the palm branches at Jesus. And we already talked about the history of that. It's rooted in this guy named uh, Judas Maccabeus. Mm -hmm. uh, and his name meant the hammer. Mm. Uh, and, and so there's, there's two pictures here that are happening in, in a paradoxical way. So Judas Maccabeus, he's the hammer. Uh, he's, he's a guy who takes the city by force. Mm -hmm. And in less than a week, uh, Jesus is not the hammer, but is in, instead Jesus is being hammered yeah. into a cross. 
Uh, not only that, but there's this other theme right, right in there with it, and it's the paradoxical theme of Jehu in the Old Testament that we've already talked about. The guys spread their cloaks out before him. Uh, he's the king, and uh, he's a warrior. The Bible makes it clear that Jehu's a warrior, and the Bible makes it clear that, that Jehu's mission is to take over being king and to do it by force. And then you have this theme of like Judas Maccabeus, and he takes over Jerusalem by force, but Jesus comes in not riding a war horse, but instead riding what? A donkey. Yeah. So there's this, this passage is just, it's just filled with, with, with paradox. Mm -hmm. And, and it seems like things are moving in two different directions. Right. Right. And like, um, whereas the people are expressing sacrifice, they're expressing laying their cloaks down Later in the story, we see the ultimate sacrifice. It's flipped around. They think they're sacrificing. That's right. And they find out that actually Jesus is the one sacrificing for them. So. Yes. But what's interesting, and this just plays on that idea of paradox even more. In the beginning, they are the ones offering a sacrifice or, mm -hmm. or offering to give. In the end, Jesus is the one who gives. But in the end, many of these people may not have been able to see Jesus on the cross mm -hmm. and still recognized him as the Messiah or the right. King, right? Right. Yeah, so, so part of what's happening in this passage when it comes to, to paradox is it, it, there's this sense in which people are like, yeah, that's, that's the Messiah, that's the King, that's Jesus, but they assumed he was gonna be a different kind of King, right? right. But Jesus shows up and he's this completely other kind of King. Yeah. Uh, so there's this difference between maybe uh, expectations that the people had mm -hmm. and the kind of King that Jesus was gonna be. Yeah, so the ultimate um, paradox that lies in this story is reality versus assumptions. Yeah, and I can't help but, but even maybe bring up this week and, mm -hmm. and some of the things that are happening around the world, right? Mm -hmm. um, many of you are at home, and if you're like me, you've, you've thought all kinds of things this week. Um, you've, you've probably been uh, praying a little more, and you've probably watched the news a little more, mm -hmm. and it, it makes you wonder, like, uh, where is God at in this mm, moment? Right. And it's like we should always read the scriptures with, our current, with the lens of our current life. But anytime that we are in a trial or crisis or chaos, it seems like that happens a lot more. It does. Yeah. And, and it makes me wonder, or this passage has awakened this question for me this week. It's like, um, you and I, we're both Jesus people. Uh, you and I both believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that Jesus is the King mm -hmm. and that he's the guy that's going to set the world straight uh, and that he has done that in some spectacular fashion. And then sometimes in weeks like this, I still believe that, but sometimes I begin to place my own expectations on how Jesus should be King or how Jesus should be Lord in the world right now. Yeah, so just like we need to grasp hold of the paradox that's in this story, like we should always be aware that, the, that we are living in the greatest paradox. Like that, that, that reality that we see with our eyes and the reality that we know with our faith and with our heart are often moving in opposite directions. They could be. They or they really, appear to be moving in opposite directions. They I really could say. be. Mm -hmm. uh, because, because just like in the story that we just read a moment ago, the people were not wrong when they, when they 
wanted to say that Jesus was the king or Jesus mm-hmm. was the Messiah, right? Yeah, the things that they were saying were true and right and, yeah. held, and held true through the whole story. But the way the story unfolded, yeah. that's where the paradox lied. Yeah, and I'm just, I'm just wondering for those of us who are at home and are going through this, this just insane moment, this insane moment of global paradox, this insane moment of global pandemic, this insane moment of really deeply questioning mm-hmm. what's happening and how's God at work, right? Yeah. I, I just want to say, if you've been a little confused this week, mm-hmm. uh, if you have uh, prayed and wondered what is happening, if you have wondered where is God and what is he up to, and if at the same time you know that he's God and you know that he's king, I, I just want to say uh, welcome to the true faith. Uh, welcome to the true heart of Christianity and uh, welcome to, to the journey that, that many, many people have been on, including the people in this text, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, welcome to the big questions. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and it doesn't mean that you're getting it wrong. It might mean that you're right in the middle of uh, what it means to be on a journey with Jesus. Yeah, and moments like this have a way of waking us up to the fact that we're actually in this story that is still unfolding and that we are all experiencing um, the same kind of paradoxical uh, confusion sometimes and questioning and that that is a great place to meet Jesus. It is a great place to meet Jesus mm-hmm. and uh, to meet him as he really is. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I just want to end this little conversation this week talking about worship. Yeah, I think um, we should. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. And I want to talk about it because it's all through the passage, mm-hmm. right? So in this passage, people are laying down their cloaks. That's, that's a sign of worship, even the, the, mm-hmm. the cutting of palm branches. And then they're shouting or singing these songs. They're shouting, mm-hmm. you know, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yeah. Uh, Hosanna, son of David. Their obedience in the beginning yeah. that seemed a little um, ridiculous to go and get this donkey and bring it back. Even the act of obedience was an act of worship saying, well... Uh, you said you it must, all. Do, you must know what you what yeah, you need. Yeah. So the disciples go and get the donkey, and then whoever owned the donkey let the up. disciples <laughs> take it. You yeah, know, yeah. all of these ideas of like sacrifice and giving and worship, and then there's definitely like praise in this passage. People are mm-hmm. shouting out to Jesus, calling him, proclaiming uh, who he is, proclaiming who he is, mm-hmm. and to call Jesus Son of David is to call him essentially uh, a Messiah, a King. A savior, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and so this whole text is just is just bathed in in worship and in mm-hmm. proclamation and in praise. And uh, I just want to say something, you know, pretty basic here. Uh, when these people worshipped Jesus, or when they proclaimed him to be a king, they weren't wrong. No, they weren't wrong to do so. Even though maybe some of their assumptions about what it would look like, that's right, might have been off or definitely were off, yeah. um, what they were saying and, and how they were worshiping God was true. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so I just think there's an invitation there, even for us, mm-hmm. as we walk through a moment uh, in our world and in our time that seems to be mm-hmm. fairly confusing and may bring up all kinds of really big questions mm-hmm. for us. I, I just want to say to our church family, uh, to the vineyard, if your impulse is to worship, it's the right impulse. Yeah. If your impulse is to declare God to be God. It's the right impulse. Even if God seems to be working in a way that, um, 
that doesn't go with how we want or how we're hoping mm-hmm. or uh, how we think he should act, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The, the impulse to worship somehow encapsulates that and it keeps us, I don't know, it keeps us centered in to the truest thing. Yeah, and we're, we always talk about living in reality and, and calling things as they are. But here's a thought that might be bubbling up in the middle of all of this. Um, to proclaim God is good and God is the healer and at the same time, witnessing this global pandemic and people that we're praying for maybe still suffering. Yeah. Um, how to hold those two realities together. Yeah. Like if worshiping God and proclaiming his goodness is always true, how do you hold that in a, in a time like this? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, A, I think that's a really great question. It's a, it's a huge question yeah. uh, to be sure. But I, I, think, I think, number one, to worship is always the right thing, uh, even when it's running counter to some of the narrative that we're seeing. And to worship God as king or to worship God as the one who is in control and is Lord and is going to set things right. Uh, you use the word healer there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To worship God as as a healer and as a kind father in the midst of a time when people really are suffering and some people are dying, uh, that throws us back into paradox again, doesn't it? Yeah. But, but there's this sense in which uh, no matter what's happening in our world, uh, I would say this, there's a sense in which no matter what's happening in our world or how things seem to be going, um, we can have confidence in that kind of worship and in those kinds of declarations because in the end, God is going to heal it all. You know, uh, the truth is uh, we're all going to eventually die unless Jesus uh, comes back sometime real soon here. Uh, The truth is we're all eventually going to die. But the bigger truth is in the end, God is going to raise everything up and God is going to set right everything that was wrong and everything that was wounded is going to be mended and everything that was sick is going to be made well and everything that was diseased is going to be cleansed. And he may do that tomorrow, he may do that the next day, or he may do that way, way later in the coming age. But the truth is we can still worship God and we can do it with confidence because it isn't counter to who he is what he's doing or what he will do. That's right. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing I want to say just about like worship in this passage and how uh, we can worship and it's always the right thing is, is this. Um, there's this little scene in John chapter 12 where after Lazarus is raised up, Mary comes in and she pours a bunch of expensive oil mm-hmm. on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And some of the disciples are like, hey, she shouldn't have done that. Like we could have used this for the poor. Mm-hmm. And Jesus defends her and says, you know, what she's done is beautiful. It'll always be remembered. And so there's, there's this moment where Mary pours out all this expensive perfume and she's doing it from a place of gratitude because Jesus has raised up her brother, right? But just a few short days later, uh, instead of Lazarus being in the tomb, it'll be Jesus who's the one in the tomb. And what Mary doesn't really know at all, in fact, what almost no one knows at the time other than Jesus is, he's about to be put to death and put into a tomb. And Mary's worship is, is like the, the, the oil, the, the embalming perfumes that they would have put on a body. And so she is somehow in step with what God is doing, even though she's clueless as to what is actually going on. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And so I just want to say to the vineyard, 
I just want to say to this church, like no matter what's happening in our world, we can, we can be confident in who God is mm-hmm. and we can know that worship is always the right thing mm-hmm. and that to declare the goodness of God is always the right thing and to, to declare him as the king, uh, that's always the right thing. Yeah, and even if we aren't sure how things are going to turn out, even if we're not really sure what, what we feel about things in our heart, um, to jump into the story and to proclaim uh, who God is and to proclaim God's goodness as, as good a reaction as we can have. That's right. Well, here's what I want to do, church. I want to invite you to investigate this story for a little bit. Yeah. And so I think I have three questions that maybe you can process with your family just as soon as we're done here. Here's some questions that you can, um, you can pull up and maybe ask a few people. Uh, number one, how are we expecting to see God during these days that we're living right now? How are we expecting? What are you, what are you praying for? What are you, what are you hoping for? What are your expectations for seeing God move during these days? The, uh, then number two, uh, it's similar, but it's a little different. What do I actually see God doing right now? You know, it's, it's about paying attention. Uh, it, even if God is not uh, doing the things I'm expecting or hoping for, it's always good to go back and go, well, what is it that he's actually doing? And then number three, uh, how can we declare God as king right now? How can we worship, you know? How can we declare God as king as, a, as an individual or maybe a family or a church family? So why don't you screenshot that or, or just remember that and maybe talk that over with your family for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. All right, church, uh, really, really good to be with you this week. Uh, Good to share some worship with you. Uh, Really good to share some scripture with you, uh, to dive into the Bible and to let it be be the word of life to us. And so I hope you'll dive into that with your family. Uh, And here's what I want to do just to to close today's meeting before we sing one more song. I just want to pray for us, if that'd be okay. So maybe if there's somebody sitting next to you, why don't you just uh, put your hand on their shoulder or maybe you'll hold their hand. uh, And uh, let's just pray and ask God to illuminate our hearts and our lives this week. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we love you this morning. And we ask that you would would just show yourself to us. God, we ask that that your kindness and um, that your mercy would be all around us. Jesus, we ask that you would come and take your rightful place in our homes and in our families. We ask that you would take your rightful place in our lives. Uh, Jesus, we ask that you would be the King, uh, the Lord, uh, the Messiah, and the Savior of all. Jesus, we ask that your, uh, that your humble heart would come and rule and reign uh, in our lives and in our families. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, church. Happy Sunday, blessings and peace to you. Uh, May the love of God uh, show up and find you all week long. Amen. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.